Happy spring to summer. Leah Pika here. Today's guest is a digital analytics superstar who's helping practitioners make Google Tag Manager their best friend. Stay tuned to find out who's classing up the joint on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 34. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hey guys, welcome to the 34th episode of Present Beyond Measure, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. So a couple updates for me. It's been a few months. I recently traveled to Moz in Seattle, where I got to film an episode of, wait for it, Whiteboard Friday, one of the first they have on data storytelling. Ermagerd, this was so exciting, such an amazing project to work on, very uh, instructive for me, and I can't wait to share it with you so you will be the first to know when it launches. I also just completed an epic guide to my Pika protocol prescription, which is a really practical and repeatable approach for effective data storytelling. And you're going to be able to find that all over my site. You'll be able to opt in to grab that resource at the end of the show notes page for this episode at leahpika.com slash 033. I can't wait to hear what you think about that. Now, if you are planning on traveling to the Marketing Evolution Experience Conference in Las Vegas next month, you simply must sign up for a spot in my Inspired Insights Bootcamp. It's all about data storytelling, and it's a really condensed version of my most effective tools, mindsets, planning frameworks for presenting data that gets noticed, remembered, and acted upon. So you can go grab a ticket to that workshop at leahpika.com slash M-E-E. And if you're considering attending the Digital Analytics Hub in October, let me make that an easy decision for you. You have to go. (laughs) Um, DA Hub, if anyone knows the history of it, is a sort of reboot of the Symphonic Exchange Conference, something I had been dying to go to for years and I never got to as an attendee. So when the organizers asked me to deliver both the keynote and a workshop there, I was so honored. And I'm really, really excited to bring that experience to this conference, which I hold the highest esteem for. So if you are planning on going, definitely sign up for the workshop. And if you're still on the fence, just go and sign up today. So all the links, that link will actually be leahpika.com slash DA hub. And all of these links will be on the show notes page as well. Anyway, on to the interview. Every digital analyst and implementation specialist in the house is going to love this one. Stay tuned. Hello. 
Hello, everyone. Today's guest is a globally recognized expert on implementing web analytics and tag management solutions. He is a veritable guru of Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager, and Google has appointed him as a Google developer expert in these fields. He's especially inter interested in the interface between marketing and development, and his main focus is on increasing awareness, skills, and critical thinking around data. He holds the position of Senior Data Advocate at Reactor and also writes a wildly popular blog on all things GA and GTM. And as an experienced speaker and prolific blogger, he can be seen and heard in conferences, product forums, support communities, and developer meetups alike. He's everywhere. And I have experienced firsthand his raving fan base, which is well-deserved because he's truly all around one of the nicest people I've met in this industry. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to the one and only Simo Ahava. Welcome. Thank you. I am completely speechless. So this is going to be an interesting podcast. That's not going to work. You'll have to think of something. <laughs> wow, that was that was some introduction. Thank you so much. I've, um, I've been looking forward to this. This is like going to be a really, really interesting talk we're going to have. Yeah. Oh, I'm really so excited. excited. I, you know, so I, I was a fan for you, a uh, fan of yours for years. And I finally had the distinction of meeting you at the Love's Data Analytics Conference in 2015. So wow. <laughs> in Australia. Yeah. And I remember so clearly after the session, you know, I and, and some of the other speakers had like a handful of people approach us and we're like, hey, I think I know who you are. And then I look over and I see a line of fans waiting for a photo with you. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so that's what the real deal looks like. And um, yeah, what's that about? I have no idea. <laughs> no, I mean, what is that? <laughs> you're really a stand up guy. And, and I mean, your authority in this space is unquestioned. So I'm so happy to have you on finally. Um, so I'm sure all of your fans listening want to hear your origin story. Tell us a little bit about how you fell into the world of measure. Um, well, it starts all the way back in the teenage years um, as a budding web developer, if you can call me that. But um, I wrote my <laughs> first website at a really young age, um, or I don't know if it's young in today's standards, but I was, I was 12 or 13. And um, it was a fan site for this um, New York rapper who had just passed away a while ago, Notorious oh. B.I.G. Wow. <laughs> so, yes, I have my own dark, dark history. Well, then. Uh, East Coast, West, West Coast, Coast rap feud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. And, um, well, the interesting part, how that got me to measure was that, um, you know, I scraped all of my content from other people. I, I wrote nothing original. It was completely plagiarized stuff. <laughs> and for some reason, it just showed up on Yahoo's search results for the Notorious B.I.G. And it was like the top two or top three result very soon. And I started receiving so many contacts from people and fans. Um, some of them were really like weirdly thinking I'm the reincarnated notorious B.I.G. So I was, oh, I was wow. a bit uh, worried about my security at some point. Oh, but God. anyway, there were so many folks coming in that I, I was really interested. Where are they coming from? What are they doing on the site? And um, at that time, this is like way before GA or way before any any of this modern JavaScript-based analytics, there were stat counters. So, you know, these little counters that went yes. up by one when a visitor came. <laughs> and they gave yes. me some simple information about like the whereabouts and um, location of the visitors. And that was so fascinating, looking at somebody from, you know, Portland, Oregon, visiting my site, and then some from Beijing, and then some from some African nation. It was just so mind-blowing that mm. these actual physical people are of course they could have been bots but but these folks were actually visiting my site digesting my content mm. and that was like such a 
that was such a profound revelation that it really carried me through, you know, university and everything where I, um, I, I studied linguistics, but I studied empirical linguistics. I was interested in knowing how people actually use language and looking at data wow. that shows how they use language. So, um, it all ties together. Like in hindsight, I want to say that it all makes sense. But when I took, made these decisions to start doing digital marketing and writing my blog, it, it never felt like a deliberate decision. It just felt like something that I want to try, maybe mm. s- stray off the path. And um, in hindsight, everything seems to have worked out beautifully. But um, I know for a fact that there have been some leaps of faith along the way, but I'm glad I took them all. <laughs> I I mean, I would imagine. I, I know what you mean when I started my blog. I w- saw the first visitors that weren't me or my mom. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, like the first, precisely. But it, it is amazing um, to see when there is something you possibly know. And, and first, you have to get over yeah. this idea that you're not an imposter and you know something. But it's also the unique lens and perspective that you bring to the topic that no one is you, essentially. You know, you may know the same facts about something, but the way that you deliver that and help someone learn that is uniquely yours. And I would certainly, yeah, and I I would certainly say what is, I think, so obvious about your particular style is how you make technical concepts so approachable and digestible for people. I I remember a few years ago, I was trying to implement some basic GTM on my Mm. site. And I was combing through your blog, hunting down for particular solutions, because some of the other ones out there, I I just couldn't wrap my head around, um, uh, around everything enough to get it to where I wanted it to be. And I I think that's a unique brilliance that you have. Um, So that's really, that's great feedback. That's the, um, that's the only kind of feedback I want to hear because that's that's been the kind of um, mission statement from day one. I don't really have any, I don't have an agenda. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. monetizing my blog, and I don't even have a mailing list. I don't. Yeah. Um, the only only thing I'm really interested in knowing is that um, I'm I'm writing for someone, but I don't know what my audience is, and I just want to every now and then I get these echoes back from the void, like you right now saying that it's mm-hmm. been useful. Like that's that's the that's the kind of um, return on investment for me. It's, it's purely like emotional hubris that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying here. There's no other strings attached. And so anytime I hear this, it's, it's both ego stroking, but it's also um, not, reinforces my decisions and makes me know that I'm just, maybe I'm doing the right thing after all. So, well, you easy. can keep stroking your ego because it's helping millions <laughs> yeah. of people around the world have yeah, better data. Um, yeah. But, you know, one of the reasons I've been dying to get you on here is because one of the most frequent gripes I hear from analysts and from their audiences is that they have a lot of trouble explaining technical concepts or complex analytical concepts to their stakeholders who might not be as savvy. Um, and and they, they try to dive in, but they get they, they'll see that they're losing their attention or their eyes are glazing over or they're getting distracted. So again, you have a really approachable way of getting technical that actually engages your audience. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on how you approach that. Yeah, there's a, there's two sides to the thing. Um, first one is expectation management. You know, you, you can't just um, drop down a technical bomb or like a, you can't just put stuff out there without first somehow establishing the premise of what you're doing. Mm. So I would never, ever um, 
go to a board meeting, for example, and show them JavaScript code just out, <laughs> out of the blue no? and just say, no, read this. <laughs> it's, it's self-evident, isn't it? <laughs> I would never do that. Um, but I could do that if I first kind of scoped the situation and made them understand why I'm actually here talking about this code. There might be a very good reason mm. why I am showing them the code. So it's um, expectation management to a very high degree that so many folks think that there's a, there's some esoteric quality to coding, for example, that mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a skill that requires patience and and you know lots and lots of dedicated hours for it. And one of the things that I've been trying to do on my blog is to dispel that notion and, and say that you know learning to code is is just a linear progression as any other thing you might want to learn to do. There's there's a there's a very low starting level to it. Mm. It's 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 like writing a language. It's like literally writing a normal human language that mm-hmm. has a syntax to it. And some of the things you can do, many of the things that are relevant for web analytics are actually quite on a low level of complexity in terms of like what you need to know in, in the programming language paradigm of JavaScript, for example. Um, I'm not saying that they're, they're easy because that's the wrong way to the easy is the wrong word to ever use in education. I don't think there's easy and hard things. There's just yeah. um, things that you um, personally adjust to. Some things that I consider easy might be very difficult for others. And some things that you consider easy might be completely mind-blowingly difficult for me. So it's mm. I try to avoid those words when I'm, when I'm writing and talking. I, instead, I try to think about the current audience I'm talking to or writing to. Um, what do I know about their knowledge levels? What is relevant to them? And and kind of shape mm. my approach. And this is um this is something I do in conferences as well because conferences are so difficult. I think they're <laughs> not not yeah. in terms of like delivering a good talk, but in terms of making sure that the audience leaves the room um, at least so that their their kind of net learning gain is positive, so that they leave the room mm. having learned at least a single thing. And um, that's so difficult to do in today's world when people have so different expectations for conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a tangent that maybe we'll return to that. But yes, I would love to. Yeah. But the expectation management was one thing. And the, sec- and the other thing is just um, trying to make things as natural as possible. So this is so important to me is that I don't talk about code as if it's something you're supposed to be in awe of or something you're <laughs> supposed to be afraid of. Like, like stop. Um, yeah, exactly. Stop <laughs> like um, I'm trying to stop demonizing it and i was trying to stop elevating it to some kind of um mm. you know godlike status it's it's just a tool it's a tool mm. as like for you a visualization tool holds the exact same kind of natural approach to what you're yeah. doing for a living and what you enjoy doing mm-hmm. um, and for me it's um i'm trying to emphasize the fact that it's just a tool you can learn it you, you can use it it doesn't make sense as a, as an objective by itself. Coding itself is not something to strive towards, but you want to do something with that code. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out what's the most natural possible way to, you know, I, I try to write about code in the same way I talk about what I had for breakfast, something that's so natural <laughs> to the to the discussion, there's no, um, unless it was a really, really good breakfast when I want to elaborate. But My regex bowl was delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a bunch of regex. But um, it's, I think it's so important to kind of not make a big deal out of technical stuff. That's so important. It's, um, mm. it, it helps people ease into it and, and understand that it's very natural. It's, um, and that, at least that's my goal. I'm not, I'm not sure if that theory holds any water, but I'm, I'm testing it all the time with people who read my blog and who listen to me at conferences. Mm-hmm. 
That is very interesting. And it actually ties into the article that you wrote that I want to talk about in just a second, where it is it is a tool. And I think that's an amazing way to frame it up for folks. And I think tools can also be used for mass destruction. And sometimes people are afraid of wielding it in the wrong way or what the consequences of of doing something wrong with it. Um, And again, I think that's why your role in our industry is so important. Um, But you're right. I used to look at code as sort of this wall of ancient uh, Aramaic or something (laughs) (laughs) and have this terrified like reverence for it. Um, So I I can see that for sure. So that's really helpful. Now, you know, especially with conferences, but also with smaller, you know, corporate meetings, you know, what happens when you have a mix in your audience? You have a mix of folks that are so keyed up on the concepts that you're afraid of actually not speaking authoritatively enough, but also you have a mix of people who couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts around that? I do this um, pros and cons list in my head that um, I always try to get a positive number on, under the line, but do a little subtraction and division there. But the key is, again, trying to think what the net outcome of that meeting is. Mm-hmm. So do I make half of the people think that, hey, I knew this stuff, but they're happy that somebody reinforced what they already mm. know? Mm-hmm. And the, do I alienate the other half by saying this was too complicated, while at the same time knowing that they can learn this stuff if they want to? Well, for mm. me, that's a given. That's the path I would take. I don't, I don't mind being too complicated or, or presenting stuff that might go over other people's heads, knowing that they can always return to that. Yeah. Um, if they're motivated to understand it, they can understand it. Because the I think the worst thing I could do um, as somebody who knows something about these things, the worst thing I could do is dumb things down so that nobody actually benefits from it. <laughs> like like trying, right. to, trying to be so so um, colloquial or so use language that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Using, using weird metaphors that nobody really knows how to unravel. Um, so I think... Um, for me, that's been the approach I've chosen. I, I, I would rather go over the heads of people than, than just fly under the radar mm. and try to be really, really accommodating. I don't think that's, I don't think that's, that's useful for anyone, especially, um, you know, typically if I'm invited to talk somewhere, the expectation is that they want to learn something about this particular niche that I have some expertise in. So it would be weird if I just came over and, and, and kind of was too easy was it was too simple mm-hmm. i think that's um that's also something that i don't want to i don't want to get a reputation for doing that i don't i don't i don't enjoy being that being the dude who kind of speaks the common tongue in that way i don't i don't <laughs> want to i don't i don't want to give the illusion that this stuff can be described in simple metaphors because some of it is really difficult and if i'm talking to stakeholders i don't want to you know i don't want to obfuscate anything this stuff might be really business critical and if mm. i'm using language like like, you know, let's say that this code is now an elephant and it's walking <laughs> to the watering hole. I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy because then the people will leave the meeting thinking, what did he just I talk just about? I just got elephants? it. I totally <laughs> so got exactly, it. Yeah. That's scary <laughs> if they just got it and I didn't. <laughs> but I think that's my, that's my kind of tip is to, um, be wary of not, not being too, not, not missing anything important just because you were afraid that you were being too complex because they can always stop mm-hmm. you and ask, Hey, can you elaborate? Mm-hmm. Instead of you um, force spoon feeding them this kind of thing that doesn't really raise any questions or doesn't really raise any feelings of whatsoever. 
Right. You know, I I love the idea of a net learning game or a net outcome and making sure someone is walking away with something. Yeah. I have heard different perspectives on this where I, a previous guest of mine once said, talk at the level of the highest paid, the hippo in the room, the highest paid person where, you know, hierarchy matters. Yeah. And if you're skipping over their experience, it could not end up in a you could end up not in a great situation. So what yeah, do you think about that? I, I totally understand that where, they, where they're coming from when they're saying that I will never, ever be that person. <laughs> okay. um, if I'm ever in a situation <laughs> where I have to um, suck up to, to the hippo, mm. I will stop doing what I'm doing for a living. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a total fact. Yeah. Um, I, re I refuse to do that. I, I completely understand that that's a, that's a required role in an organization and it mm -hmm. requires a person with much more character and much more um, empathy towards the highest pay. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally lacking empathy when it comes to people with deep pockets who try to govern mm. govern the pulse of the organization only because they happen to be in a um, position of authority. I think um, this might come from some kind of anarchical background, but I think that <laughs> authority is something you earn by actions mm. instead of something you get by having a certain title. But that's a completely different Wow, discussion. that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's... No, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I have that feeling. And I, I also empathize with the people presenting to stakeholders because yeah. hierarchy is very real. And I totally, um, I, I totally agree. <laughs> but, but listen, that yeah. sort of, I, I love that sort of fire and drive because mm. I do want to make this the year of prompting and encouraging the stakeholders to yeah. also start to meet us as the presenters halfway and becoming more savvy and being able yeah. to extract, taking more responsibility for extracting value out of what we're out of yeah, what we're that's saying. A great um, yeah. So actually, that dovetails pretty nicely into something we wanted to talk about today, which was this amazing article you wrote on your blog. It's called The Myth of the Non-Technical Marketer, and a link will be on the show notes page uh, for this episode. But it, it caught some attention, and it definitely strayed a bit outside of your typical GTM and mm -hmm. GA content. It was a very passionate statement on this mythical beast that is somehow able to talk authoritatively on technical concepts like tag implementation and SEO, but also claims to be non-technical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that this comes down to sort of labels that people might be hiding behind. So give us the general gist of what your article was about. Yeah, um, there was... Um there was a personal twist and then a commercial twist. And I think the personal, mm -hmm. personal uh, twist was that um, for some, I think we're living in a really interesting time when we have tools, um, we have tools that have really been democratized. So we have tools like, um, um, like, like data studio, for example, that's actually mm -hmm. running really, really complex processes. It's, it's abstracting a lot of things like database queries and um, API queries and, and um, you know, spreadsheet formulae. And it's, it's abstracting them in a level that you have an editor that actually does this for you. You can draw these beautiful widgets with Data Studio, which is, I mean, amazing, amazing thing you can do compared to what you used to have to do with tools like Tableau and stuff. But, um, and I think that people don't really realize that what they're doing is really, really technical. They're actually mm -hmm. doing really technical tasks without, without even knowing it because the, the tools themselves, um, hide this, hide this complexity. 
And Google Tag Manager, for example, is a prime example. Like you, you said, I, I just just a while ago, you mentioned that you can do really destructive things with these tools. Oh yes, and that's and that's <laughs> absolutely true. And without even knowing, you're actually controlling an entire paradigm of user experience on the website. For example, with without single line of code, no pressure, you could destroy the entire site. Absolutely, and the world. In the world, yeah, exactly. You could, well, you could, you could do that. If you have the right <laughs> website, you know, you could do yeah. that probably. But um, I, and I think that people have kind of lost sight of the trees for the forest. You know, they they're they're looking at this stuff, but they're doing really technical things. And then there's this mantra of non-technical. That's uh, that's a relic from the days when when coding was still really really something um, held to a small group of experts. And JavaScript wasn't what it is today. And we had to do things like SQL queries and um, server log parsing and all this archaic stuff. And I think we're now living in a really interesting time when these two are somehow decoupling. And I think people are still holding on to the fact that they can always say that they're non-technical um, because it used to bring them a certain amount of freedom to work with and to um, mm. navigate in organizations. But today, I don't think that my claim with the article is that if you're working in digital marketing, you simply can't make that claim anymore. You're you're already being technical by the very virtue of working in the digital medium. And the fact that I'm I'm looking at you from a browser screen is already quite a technical task. We're <laughs> doing a voice over IP call. That's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's four words that would <laughs> would have made sense like ten years ago when people are discussing mm-hmm. this stuff. I know how to so use Skype. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, but you're doing a voice over IP call. Right. <laughs> so. Um, so that's the that's the personal twist. I really wish people would kind of um, stop describing themselves in the negative. I don't really understand mm-hmm. that. Why say you're non something? You don't hear a librarian saying I, I hate books or anybody. You don't hear them saying I'm non I'm non literate. I'm a non professional car driver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So so it's um. It's just weird for me. And I, I really wish people would stop doing it because if they stop doing it, and here's where the commercial twist comes these platforms would stop selling themselves with that rhetoric, like saying, we are finding mm. a platform for the non-technical market. Oh, you only interesting. Click a button and everything will be done for you. <laughs> no, just, click, just click publish and the whole thing will start working. It's um, Our elves will go to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> somebody has to do this stuff. I, I completely understand why this has to be done. It's a great way of getting explosive growth. Nothing grows your user base except by like creating a single button that does everything. Uh, yeah. But at some point you're going to pass the critical mass of, of, of like enough critical folks using the platform and you can't get by with that rhetoric anymore. Mm. And I think Google Tag Manager, for example, they started off with having a big, um, not a big, but they had a blurb on their site that said, you know, you can do this now without bothering the IT and you can, you know, do all this <laughs> GTM. And at some point, they—I think—I hope they—they ha- they realize that they have to remove that because that's just mm. um, such an abstraction of what the tool actually does. Um, well, it doesn't actually make anybody redundant. So. Yeah, and also, how does that help facilitate a relationship between the marketer and the technical folks? Oh, now you're just now you're just oh, wow, right? that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear you say. <laughs> that's exactly what I think. Um, yeah. Um, 
we have these tools, especially tools that lie on the uh, like an interface between uh, between IT and marketing. And GTM is just a great example of it because it really it's smack middle in that interface. Um, the more the tools try to cater to either party, like a developer tool mm-hmm. or a marketing tool, the more they increase friction in the organization. And wow. tools, tools like this, you know, they, they promise to alleviate friction, but they do it by actually increasing it. So they, they say that attack management solution, for example, one of the things why people like it is that they can actually get things done without a slow IT. And, you know, that's <laughs> exactly how it works. Now, the main question is, they can do this. Should they do this? Like you have a tool that does this. Does that mean that you should always just publish everything without asking the developers first? Well, personally, I don't think so. I think there's, it doesn't change the fact that there needs to be an ongoing dialogue between all these different parts of the organization. And that's one of the, that's one of the pain. It's straying a bit from the non-technical marketer thing, but it's part of the same paradigm of, of people kind of trying to, silo themselves into these weird cocoons of, of um, self-worth, which is just really abs- ab- abstract or absurd when you're describing yourself as being non-something, when instead you could say that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning to code. I'm still learning to visualize things. I'm still learning to present. I'm still learning to talk. I'm still learning to do SEO, to do server crawls. Um, it's such a small shift in the rhetoric, but it already opens mm. yourself discussion like okay that's interesting well do you need any help do you want resources for that mm-hmm. but if they say you know i'm non-technical marketer i said okay so what you know you don't know how to use a keyboard like where does the non-technical <laughs> stuff end like where at what point do you actually become yeah what time what at what point do you become technical again it's so it, it started it started as a rant on semantics but i'm i'm the the amount of friction or attraction it got I'm positive I, I touched something deeper mm-hmm. um, and, and forced people to. And I, I, I'm not going to take credit for the idea. I'm definitely not the first one who, who's written about this, but um, it just came at a, I was really frustrated after some customer support things that I had been doing. So it just felt like a good time to publish the article. I had been writing it for months and months, mm-hmm. never knowing when to actually release it. I know that sometimes you have a message that's bigger than your current message and it's bigger than what people expect from you and you're terrified yeah. of releasing it into the the world. Exactly. But um, all of that I think is really insightful. And there is one passage I wanted to read and then I'd love to actually pontificate a bit and give my own perspective. Yeah. So sure. you said, nothing wrong with labels, but once they're used as excuses to belittle the multitude of things that can be done in digital, that's when it really bothers me. The non-technical or <laughs> lazy marketer has been the primus motor for TMS development. That I was like, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Almost as much as the uncooperative developer sitting grumpily in his or her dungeon, sipping Jolt Cola. I don't know what Jolt <laughs> is, but <laughs> and, and laughing at the stupid marketer's requests. The analyst is someone who's hired for insight, but they're reduced to either solving problems between two aforementioned parties or to tweaking lazily installed GA implementations. So that one really, I felt like got to a core of a lot of things. And I kind of want to bit a play, a play a bit of devil's advocate because I totally identify with calling myself a non-technical marketer at times um, while I'm doing TMS testing and implementation. Yeah. And I think there were a couple reasons I, if I really examine this. So I think I hid behind that because first, I also wanted to make sure I was focusing on the skills that I was being hired to do. And part of me was afraid of 
devoting so much time to straying outside of my wheelhouse that I was going to lose my edge. But then really going even deeper, there's no question that I was really, (laughs) I maybe knew enough to be dangerous. And I think (laughs) that that is a phrase that can really um, proliferate in digital because at times I would try to speak to something and I have been called out by savvier programmers and, you know, for trying to play in a sandbox that I didn't belong in. So I have a lot of compassion for the marketer in this case, but by no means do I feel that we don't have room to grow and there aren't things we should take responsibility for. So my question to you after all that is, is it a combination of people responsible for making the shift? Is it marketers hiding behind something, doing technical things, but saying, oh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm not technical, so don't don't mm. mind me. Is it the technical f- folk who can give marketers a safer and non-judgmental space and facilitate learning? Is it management who's going to say, we are going to expect you to have these technical skills yeah. and we're going to empower you to learn enough to collaborate effectively with the official technical folks so that you're, mm. you know more than enough to be dangerous, I guess. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Mm. I th- well, I know the, the, um, by the rails answer would be that it's a combination of all three, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think the bigger, bigger thing behind it is that we're still talking about organizations comprising marketers and mm. IT and management. And I think one of the things that I talk about in that article is, is abandoning these kind of single verticals. Mm, um, okay. I don't recognize that myself as a developer or as a marketer. And I have, I have I um, parts of both in me. Um, um, maybe, I, maybe I'm exceptional, but I really, I really, really doubt that. Um, so I, I think that what, what we have to recognize is the fact that we're all hybrid beings. You know, we're, we, we all have these tool sets um, and we have the possibility of learning these tools. And the modern digital organization that, that uses data and um, uh, is really open about the data they use, the only way these organizations can thrive is if the people within those organizations drop these silos and start actually mm-hmm. um, cooperating past those because those labels are really, really artificial. Like, what what does a marketer actually mean? How, <laughs> right. a, a good developer is like self-marketing. They're writing code that is actually carrying the whole thing. Mm. Just the same way that a good marketer, like I'm using these old labels, that a good marketer can actually be a very powerful force in development because they can basically decide what the roadmap looks like yeah. um, if they're talking about the product market fit. Um, one of the things that I really love is um, agility and, and, the, and the lead methodologies and Scrum and Agile because mm. the only way those things work is if there's a multidisciplinary team comprising multidisciplinary people. Like the only way you can actually survive in an Agile environment is if you're willing to go past your comfort zone and look past your own prejudices, prejudices and, and look at mm. what the other and have empathy for them. Um, I've witnessed that firsthand in many cases where simply by having a daily or a weekly meeting around a table that has representatives from the IT, from marketing, from business, from analysts, from uh, PR, you know, from anybody who has a stake in the website or whatever digital property you're working with, simply by having that discussion and opening the floor for open discussion 15 minutes a day, like a mm. stand up with a coffee cup in your hand. Um, it, it does amazing things for these um, these notions that are really so deeply grounded that it sometimes it feels like you need like a hammer and a chisel to get them out. Yeah. When in fact all it needs is just a floor for discussion and and the and the 
nobody telling you that what you're doing is, is stupid and don't try to talk in a technical language when you don't know what you're doing. But instead, right. being like, um, yeah, that's really great, interesting point of view. And here's what I think about it. And, you know, yeah. it's all about it's all about communication structures. That's what it really is. It's communication structures within organizations. Um, many, many organizations are broken and, and sick and they need oh. like, a doctor to fix that. <laughs> broken communication is an epidemic. Um, it's funny because I took a personal communication uh, training for two years and it was amazing oh. how that reflected onto what I was seeing in the breakdowns first between yeah. stakeholders and analysts presenting. But now that we're talking about this, absolutely the relationship between the marketing team and yeah. uh, and tech. Um, so I feel like you're inspiring me to write some sort of <laughs> post on how to mend those fences. Um, and oh, just that would be cool. Try to remember that everyone is really actually on the same team. the The more collaboration there is, the more money everyone gets to make and, yeah. <laughs> and take home. Um, so it, yeah, it's, yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, the money thing, I know, I know it was just uh, just a quick, but there's actually a good point about incentivizing this stuff. Hmm. If if um, if um, marketing has their own incentives, like you have to do your marketing stuff to get the bonus, and if the developers yeah. have their own in incentives, like um, get this backlog pruned as soon as possible hmm. and don't take any new ideas there, um, those are the things that cripple organizations and. Um, one of the things that you have to, if you want to break through that, is to figure out how to incentivize working for the good of the entire organization and maybe even create incentives where the developers have an incentive to improve the marketer's workflow. So maybe even, even give them some piece of the pie if they manage to make life easier for, for some other departments. So mm. um, personally, I'm, I'm against like um, that. Like, I'm, I'm against like personal bonuses and um, uh, things like these that drive, they drive a very, wrong kind of incentive every model. person and for instead, themselves yeah exactly instead of maybe um, um for example at reactor we have something like um, um if, if we do get bonuses they're always tied to the entire progress of the company so if the company does well everybody mm. is entitled to an equal share of the of the of the bonus or or whatever it is you want to call it but it it it, it removes it's just a small part of the puzzle but it does remove like removing money from the equation and, and incentives that encourage you to do a very single line of work without cooperation. Um, that sounds like a very good step to take, but obviously it's, um, it's difficult to change it. Oh, it sounds easy. Patterns. Yeah, it just sounds yeah, easy for exactly. me to say it. That is so fascinating about, um, I'm thinking of like the word egalitarian, this egalitarian mm. bonus, um, where I wonder how much of that is a cultural thing, because there's no question that America tends to be more <laughs> capitalist and, and focused yeah. on what am I getting out of this situation? And frankly, that's how we approach relationships very often is what am I getting out of this? But yeah. it is so fascinating that it's based on collaborating to help the company to thrive as a whole. Yeah. We have a lot to learn, and, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I think... Um, uh, one an easy way to wrap around, wrap one's head around this is, is to take the agile approach again. You know, mm. you don't have to change the whole thing at once. You can start with iterations, do a proof of concept. You know, try a shared incentive plan with with whatever project you're working with with the developers. Just for one single project, try a shared incentive plan where if the project meets mm. its targets and still has um, enough um, space for adjusting the backlog, 
then everybody gets the same bonus. Wow. I see what happens. I mean, just just to like um, ag agility makes so much sense. There's so, there's something so beautiful about having small iterations and looking then looking back what went right, what went wrong. Mm -hmm. Should we do something else differently instead of doing everything in this one huge rush over six months? And then when you look back, it's too late. So many things have changed. Yeah. It's impossible to make make minor adjustments anymore. Oh, this is so this is so interesting. Now, if if the folks wanted to get started with some kind of resource to start wrapping their head around agility or Scrum, does anything possibly come to mind? Well, um, Scrum Alliance has a great website. Um, I think their whole methodology is, is outlined there, um, scarmalize.org, if I remember correctly, but we'll have it in the, mm -hmm. in the notes. But, um, so they, they outline really nicely. Scrum is just one, um, you know, just one methodology. Um, there, there are ways to be agile without doing Scrum. Okay. Um, there, it's just, um, ag agility is a mindset. It's, it's a uh. way of approaching things. And there are, um, I'll definitely, um, I'm coming short on ideas right now, but I'll definitely come okay, up with some great. reading material for the show notes. So remember to check those as well. Perfect. So now I actually want to spend just a couple of minutes transitioning to what you're seeing in the world of presentations and conferences. Um, you know, what really, I'm sure you, you've attended more than one in your day. Um, what really catches your attention or moves you during a great presentation? Mm, I think um, being really, 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 um, self reassured, um, having a very confident mm -hmm. speaker. Um, while at the same time, I have a very, very good, um, meter for, um, I'm not sure if I can say it. maybe I'll skip that word, but I have a good meter for identifying if people are being dishonest. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, um, and mm. especially if they're trying to sell something, um, mm. something else than good ideas. And I mm. think that, um, my favorite presentations have been, well, I can, I can say one, for example, uh, Matt Gershoff's um, presentation from Super Week a couple of years ago. Matt, Matt is an amazing, amazing human being and a really great presenter on all things uh, machine learning and, and mm -hmm. with AI as well. And um, he explained uh, linear regression models like no one else before. And I had no idea <laughs> what they were before that, before cool. that presentation. Uh, I had a vague idea what they were after the presentation, but again, we're talking about the net learning thing right. and the net net gain, and, and that was a huge net gain for me. I, I learned terminology, I learned vocabulary, um, simply because there was this really laid back New York dude um, talking about something that he knows completely thoroughly, it's like without any mm -hmm. pretense. There was no mm. there was no marketing jargon there. He he, he owns a very successful product or tool. And there was no mention of that tool anyway. Wow. It, was, it was completely like, I'm going to use uh, weird words, but like, like un unadulterated knowledge transfer, completely raw. And, um, mm. and that's what I love. If somebody's willing to open themselves up completely on stage and no strings attached with their only passion being to share what they know. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the guiding star for me as well. I think that the best presentations are ones where people are really, um, really just showing that, you know, any, first of all, anybody can be here. I'm, I'm not here on this stage because I'm somehow special. I'm here because I was asked to talk here and I have something to share. And there's nothing exceptional about any human being in that way. Everybody can do anything in a way, mm -hmm. uh, barring some, some, you know, physical restraints or something. But, um, so that's um, it's it's a vague answer to your to your great question, but I think for me 
the best presentations are when one word, which are knowledge sharing through and through, nothing else, just completely knowledge sharing. Like you're sitting in a class that you actually want to attend. <laughs> That's so I completely agree with you. I look for massive value being delivered. I might turn this around a bit because as someone whose business is built around teaching, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't have the luxury of being employed somewhere else. And, you know, this is my bread and butter. Yeah. So how do you think there is a happy medium where, you know, part of speaking is a business activity, but if it's done in a way where there is enough of that passion for transferring knowledge and delivering massive value for free, but then incorporate ways of having a person connect with someone and the business that they own. Do you think that there's room for that? Or is it really like, so. yeah? No, okay. I, I absolutely think so. Um, that, that might not be the talk for me, like, uh, <laughs> well, like me personally, I but I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. Um, I've always believed that, um, an honest person who who does this knowledge sharing, even if they're not explicitly selling anything, they're they're going to be getting. If they want, they can gain better leads than somebody who's actually I trying see. to push something. Got it. Um, but it's a. Um, but I'm I'm not saying that that's um. Obviously, there are there's a way to do business as a speaker and as a presenter. Um, I was mainly maybe I was thinking more about in terms of like generic conf conference talks. Absolutely. Um, but even even with them, you know. Um, if you deliver a good talk, regardless of your tactic, obviously you you have a chance to turn that into turn that into leads and prospects. By but, but I think yeah. honesty is the key thing here. Um, uh, like I said, um, if if I were looking for for a partnership with some with 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 a business or and they they had a representative talking, uh, I would first look for the signals about this knowledge transferring this um, about being true. True to what you're saying and being an expert in what you do before I'm looking for is, is, is the product they're saying good. So if, if yeah. I had met Matt for the first time, it might have actually been the first time I met Matt. But for example, after that super week talk, I, I was ready to buy anything from him. <laughs> had I been in the market mm, looking for a great um, you know, A-B testing solution. So um, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, before I ever deliver any talk or anything, I do a set of affirmations and I try to always talk about service, focusing yeah. on serving, not going and going leads, going to get so many leads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because I am so acutely clued into the aversion that our audience has to people selling because I think that pushy selling is an issue. It's not just our yeah. industry. It's an issue everywhere. And how do you sell, um, and it's really how do you get get reimbursed to provide value? Yeah. That's how I like to. <laughs> that's yeah. how I like to think and of that, it. That's I think that's that hits the nail on the head. I mean, and especially I think in the states, um, you many times you actually have to pay for a speaking gig, so you have to pay to yeah. be accepted as a speaker. So mm -hmm. obviously you're going to have to sell. You're going to have to get the return on investment. Of course. Um, so I, I I understand the. Um, yeah, I, like 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 you, I, I understand where the world is at the moment, but um, one can hope you know, that things <laughs> things shift around um, to, or or maybe maybe the solution is somewhere in the middle. In the middle, like have a have your own vendor stand there and maybe do a sponsored talk. Mm -hmm. But in um, in addition to that, maybe do a, like a workshop or a or a quick proof of concept mm -hmm. or piloting a demo or something. So there's 
um, and this is, you know, I'm talking about my own, my own preference. I think if most people thought what I think this world would be going downhill in this chaos of anarchy and nobody listening to anybody else. And yeah. so I think there's, it's good that there's some business structure to it all. But um, as, a, as a personal preference, I like, you know, I, I describe what my favorite kind of talk is. And sure. that's what I try to keep in mind when I present myself as well. <clears throat> no, I, I 100% agree with you that the content that you deliver and the way you deliver it or the value, the whole package is going to get you the follow-up that you're looking for, right? Um, so I got some really good advice from a friend of mine, Cole Newsbomber Naflick. She's another data viz trainer, and uh, she encourages people to just find her after with questions, and that yeah. kind of really leaves it at that, which shows that she's she wants people to come and engage yeah. her, uh, which I think is so fantastic. Rather than sort of giving a marketing spiel and then being like, "Bye, oh, folks." That's a really <laughs> great point. That's a really great point. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of irks me about conferences today is that there's a speaker lounge. I, I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea. <laughs> I that don't either. Are, you know, I'm never in there. In the yeah. Except for the bottled I, I, water. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some amenities, of course, but um, there, it's, it's such a powerful signal that you get that if after your talk, instead of vanishing behind the curtains, you step down from the mm. stage and walk right into the audience and, you know, open yourself up for questions instead of getting them to come to you. Um, I've tried to do that as much as possible. Obviously, sometimes it's not with a big conference, which has strict organization. It's not possible to just jump down. Yeah. But uh, but um, um, I'm, I'm I might not sound like it, but I am actually quite shy in, in uh, social social settings. So I I don't always just rush out to mingle. Mm -hmm. But when I do, and when I take the plunge, and when I kind of um, build up the courage to do so i'm always grateful i did it in, in hindsight and i get yes. the best feedback comes from people not about the talk but about the fact that i stayed afterwards to yeah. talk and help discuss and that's a, that's a, you know if you do that then you're forgiven for any kind of membership <laughs> you have in, the, in the talk if you if you actually take the time to do one-on-one -on -one help after it that's fantastic i i is same the speakers that stick around to answer questions after always yeah. uh, stand out in my mind. So do you have any advice for up and coming aspiring speakers in the digital community? Well, um, I think my, my advice is to, first of all, take risks. Um, don't, don't take the trodden path. <laughs> um, my, um, my own, own approach to talking is to actually uh, rehearse as little as possible. I'm not sure if that's good, good advice for anyone, but for me it works because I want to sound natural and spontaneous. Mm. So my advice is uh, whatever tactic you have, try to get a level of naturalness and spontaneity into your talks. Um, so that it doesn't necessarily sound like you're, you're reading off cue cards or a teleprompter, but that um, you're always engaging. And the other advice, which has been the best, I got this from a high school uh, teacher when I was giving some um, Finnish, Finnish talk or, or, or presentation was to always just engage people's eyes. So look into the audience and look from iPad to iPad to iPad to iPad mm. all the time. Um, even if it makes you look like this, even <laughs> if it's risk of looking like a bro broken down doll. Um, Bobblehead. Just try to find the eyes. Yeah, try to find the eyes. That's the, that's the thing that counts. Uh, because then you get to the then you get the pulse of the audience. You you can see if they're laughing at your jokes, and maybe you can try something else as well, uh, or you can see if you're losing them, and then you can again switch gears. Mm -hmm. But you really have to um, really have to have empathy, 
And then the third, third advice is just to um, attend conferences as an attendee. Um, try to, because you have to, mm. um, even if it's a conference where you're talking yourself, try to um, listen to what the other speakers are saying. It's a really powerful way of presenting is to say, as somebody who just came before me already said, or saying that, you know, Leia is coming after me. So she'll obviously have something better to say about oh, these <laughs> kinds of segues. It's, yeah. it's such a great way. And the conference organizers will love you for it because you're helping them help the audience understand that there's a connecting thread between all these different speakers. So you're kind of aligning yourself with uh, what came before you and what's coming after you. So that's, a, that's something I try to do as much as possible. It's so funny you say that. That really stood out from Love's Data, the conference mm. that we yeah. spoke at together. It was one of the few conferences where us speakers were sort of corralled <laughs> together <Yeah. laughs> all the time. And not only I feel that facilitated a great rapport between the speakers that was apparent when people saw us interacting, but it also yeah. really helped me feel into all of the content from the others and hear what things, the struggles and things that people were facing yeah. in other facets of analytics. So yeah. I love that idea. Um, yeah. Right. It's, um, the camaraderie, um, even if the speakers are never on stage together, just the fact that you can see that they're energized by each other yeah. is, is huge for conferences. And I think um, um, too few conferences, obviously it's a, a ridiculous amount of overhead to first bring them together and maybe have a dinner or something. Yes. With, with Love's data, it was special because we were in Australia and we were yeah. shipped from around the globe. So we kind of had to interact. <laughs> These lost souls. <laughs> yeah, we were completely jet lagged. So we had to find comfort. <laughs> And, and find um, camaraderie. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a horrible trip, um, you know, <laughs> right. without our family. Family is so far away from yeah, Holland. Of course. So, um, but I, I, I completely agree with you. I think I think it showed. I think it showed that, um, especially in the second leg when we were mm -hmm. in Melbourne, it really showed that we we knew each other's talks and um, we had a good good team of people. And um, I think it's uh, it's special for the. As a speaker, you tend to forget to thank the organizers. It's um, and you tend to forget the fact that there's a huge effort going behind these couple of hours. Of course, oh my gosh! And one of the ways to repay them is to, um, you know, make it make the speaking thing more than the sum of its parts. And one of the ways yeah. to do it is to um, find out what the other what what moves all the other speakers and maybe help feed into their talks and maybe get some energy from them as well. Absolutely. You know, you have to really want to be a part of it for the company yeah. as well. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm able to attend the other sessions is pull out something that resonates with my own talk and then reference that person's talk. And yeah. I think that really shows some connective tissue between the sessions. And it gives so much um, goodwill towards the other speaker as well. I've developed actual relationships with other yeah. experts just because I dropped their name during my session and, and they, they were appreciative. Totally agree. So Simo, I call the next segment the upgrade, which is a power tip for doing our jobs more awesomely. Um, that's your whole business basically but is there one little tip based on everything we've talked about that uh like a hands-on tool or something like that yeah so um any any kind of budding developer out there um and anybody who wants to understand 
you know, you know, coding is difficult to learn if you learn it in a vacuum, if you're just doing courses and if you're just doing like um, Code Academy, which is my the one one service that I always recommend to everybody, um, is a great way to learn the terminology. But um, as we know from you know using language, human language, uh, you can know the words, but to string them together into a meaningful sentence is difficult, especially mm. so that it's uh, meaningful in the pragmatic context you're delivering the talk. Mm-hmm. So. Um, one of the ways to learn how coding actually works is to explore GitHub. And GitHub is this um, open source repository where people can just share any kind of code they've written. There's lots of uh, web analytics related stuff. Only, you know, for example, looking at Luna Metrics, which is um, mm, one of my favorite companies in the States. Yeah, they have a great open source repository. So just looking at what those folks have been sharing and just you know, once you start learning about coding, just reading line by line and trying to understand what the what these solutions do, um, it's such a great way to learn learn how how um, JavaScript works and how how web analytics can be measured with these programming languages. So just taking the plunge into open source, I mean, it's it's a proven methodology, and um, there's a lot of sense and uh, and there's a lot of knowledge transfer going on with with open source. So that's a for me, that's the power to. That's how I continue to learn new things. It's not by, not by reading blogs or, or well, some come from blogs, but mainly by looking at what code other people mm. write and learning from it. I'm trying to figure out how to be a better coder myself. All right, I'm going to do it. I can't promise that uh, Cookie Monster won't be eating my website <laughs> if people visit. Um, but, yeah. but you could hold me accountable. For whatever I'll be calling you. Yeah. <laughs> Help me. Um, that's a great one. I've definitely seen GitHub, and I've definitely like run in the other direction. But I'll be less afraid now. Uh, so those are fantastic. So. This is our final question. So think very hard here. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're tuning okay. up your ukulele for the tropical winter uke fest in Finland. When you, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe they had one. <laughs> when well, they actually do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> when suddenly you trip and fall into a rip in time, which pulls you back to the moment you're going to walk into your first presentation. What would present day you say to yesterday you? Uh, first of all, um, start saving money because the good ukuleles cost a lot of money. <laughs> um, but I think the, my my first one would be that first of all, it gets better. That's my huh. that's my first first words to myself. I know that I was shaking my knees mm. and completely convinced I had the imposter syndrome really badly hit me. I was wondering what the hell am I doing on this stage. <laughs> It was actually an academic conference was my first Oof. to do with linguistics. And I was surrounded by peers who have been researching this stuff for decades. Mm. So it gets better is, is, is the first thing I want to say. Um, and the second thing I want to say is that, um, you know, don't listen to authorities too much. There are no thought leaders in the world. There are just <laughs> people who know who have more experiences than, than others. Um, take the good stuff from their experiences, but be sure to kind of look for your own path because that's the... If you want to, um, you know, break through barriers of, of learning and break through plateaus, it doesn't really help to just walk the same path that our other people have already mm. walked. You really have to take some risks and take some chances. Wow. That's that a was good one. <laughs> For me, I was like, don't animate your slides. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, it's it's minus, minus 25 Celsius outside and you're talking <laughs> tropical ukulele face. So I'm having some difficulties in adjusting my mindset, but maybe one day we'll have that here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Global warming, you know, 
keeping my fingers crossed. Right, I know, which doesn't <laughs> exist, right? But oh, yeah, that was no, that was truly official statement. <laughs> right, that was so inspirational. Really, oh, I hate that our time has run out because yeah, I yeah. feel we could go on Just all day. But uh, tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. Yes. So, um, well, my blog, obviously, uh, shameless self-promotion. So, simoahaba.com, <laughs> that's where I'll be. Um, I'm also very active in Measure Slack. So, if you haven't heard about it, take a look at it. It's a Slack channel for analytics mm. geeks and anybody who loves data and and um, anything related to analytics and measurement. And then there's also all sorts of customer support forums, you know, Google's product forums, Google+, Plus, maybe even Twitter sometimes. But um, I keep my, my edge sharp by trying to help others. That's the way I keep my own yeah. uh, toolkit as up-to-date as possible. So those are maybe the best ways. Excellent. Well, I just want to thank you so much. You're a huge inspiration to me and so many practitioners. I'm sure there are raving fans listening in. And, you know, because you are so generous with your knowledge, I've no doubt you're going to continue being an industry international treasure, truly. So thank you so much again for being on this show. It's such an honor. And I do hope our paths are going to cross again one day. As do I. And thanks. The pleasure was completely mine. This was so much fun talking to you, Leah. <laughs> Isn't he something? Simo really is that rare artisanal blend of ultra deep expertise, amazing communication skills, and a giving attitude that resonates for me so much when I think of what a true thought leader or guru actually exemplifies. And I'm just so grateful to be able to impart his infinite wisdom to you. So to catch all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, please visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 033. I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting information, data visualization, or anything else you'd like for me to talk about here. And if you like what you've heard, please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are so appreciated because they push up the rankings of the show, they help others get this content, and I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. And today's presentation inspiration is from John Medina, a neuroscientist and the author of one of my favorite books of all time, Brain Rules. Highly recommend it. And John says, quite simply, the brain doesn't pay attention to boring things. <laughs> so don't assume that technical ideas or complex data will be boring for your audience. Attach it to stories and make it come alive for them. So that's it for today. Wishing you an amazing start to the summer. Namaste. broke you know it shouldn't be like this should it all right could we could talk about this all day what yeah, what's going so on funny. dad what's going on please <laughs>